the Lean Braves reporting for duty. Fasten your seatbelts and hold on to your carrots, comrades. We're going to burn some high-performance health rubber. You're about to enter the Lean Braves throwdown zone. Accelerating for the simple solutions, we are Avengers of Health. Hide the donuts. You're listening to the Lean Braves radio show at theleanbraves.com. Welcome, Braves. I'm Ron Jones. I got Kevin Rail from Pennsylvania again, and a new guest this week, Dr. John Sullivan, a chiropractor from Lafayette, Louisiana. And uh, we are the Lean Braves, and we're talking about active aging today and sugar addiction and uh, anything else related to kettlebells and strength training. And gosh, we've got so many things to talk about. We might end up doing another show, you guys. Welcome. Thank you, Ron. Hey, man, this is a. I met Dr. John. Actually, I heard about him before I went to Minneapolis a few weeks ago. We're both Russian kettlebell instructors, RKCs, and uh, he had written something a couple years ago about the rejuvenating benefits of kettlebell training, and I think I actually sent him an email and thanked him for that. And lo and behold, he was at the recertification with uh, a bunch of other people around the country over there on the East Coast, and we got to know each other a little bit and hanging out, and, and he uh, definitely fits the Lean Bray criteria, Kevin, for no droning and no whining. Absolutely. <laughs> I just talked to uh, John for the first time right before the show started for like five minutes, and I can immediately feel his energy, and I'm excited to uh, welcome him to the Lean Bray family. Absolutely. And so, Do- John. Dr. John's fired up about this, and he, we were talking at the, uh, after dinner in Minneapolis, and John, you had some great things to say about sugar addiction, and I've told you um, the last couple shows, we've really gotten more into that. So, um, you know, welcome, and, and you're, you're also a Marine. You were in Vietnam, and you've got a lot of uh, parachute jumps as well, I was reading on your bio. I was, I was a Vietnam-era Marine. I was on Okinawa. I was in between 62 and 65, but thank God I never had to go to Vietnam. But I do have a, a, almost probably 1,000. I have 980-something log jumps in one log book and 17 in another, and probably some I didn't log. So I have quite a few skydives, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And, and, you know, uh, like a lot of us, you know, you've had things happen along your life, and I was reading in your bio and talking to you in Minneapolis, and you had a couple injuries early on, and then, uh, you know, you kind of found your way into the kettlebell training after chiropractic school, and, and so um, we can start there or start with sugar, wherever you want to go. Well, it's up to you. Being that you kind of talked about kettlebells, um, I, I was asked recently, you know, Andrea Duquesne is doing a— um, a workshop. She was asked to host a workshop on boomers in Orlando. Boomers and kettlebells. Right, right. And that DVD is excellent, by the uh, way. Well, I found out that I'm not actually a boomer. A boomer is someone born from 1946 or 49 to 1950 something, 1958 or 59 or something like that. So actually, I'm I'm pre-boomer. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 45. But you're probably stronger than most boomers. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, talking about kettlebells and, and the whole um, RKC philosophy, less reps, high tension, proper movement, proper breathing, and the tension techniques have <clears throat> literally changed my life. I, I was never a good athlete. Um, I was, you know, you, you met me. I'm only five foot six. I weigh 130 pounds. 
I was born and raised in Brooklyn, so I was always pay, picked last for any teams, you know. Uh-huh. I was always been small, but I always loved athletics, and I always tried my best. I never could seem just to get anywhere, and I'd, I'd follow the usual criteria. I have a, My undergraduate work is in health and education. I was, a, I was a coach for a while. Uh-huh. And I've come to find out that just about everything that I was taught at the university level about health and fitness besides the basic sciences, sciences was absolutely 100% wrong. <laughs> Kevin and I uh, had conversations like that. <laughs> all strength training, all endurance training, all flexibility training is all 100% wrong. You know, That's it, amazing, it, isn't it? it? That I could go through four years of college and be taught wrong Yeah. and actually take tests and learn <laughs> to prove that I know what's wrong. You know, it's know, it's amazing. It. It's amazing how many people still don't know the the fundamentals. Though Kevin and I talk about this all the time, and you know, our whole thing at the Lean Berets is to really break things down and simplify it, and kind of put it in a bumper sticker definition. But you know, I mean, uh, people are still static stretching right before they do competition, and they think that's the way it is because that's the way they were taught. And and so hopefully we can dispel some of those myths today. Because I got to tell you, Kevin, uh, Doctor John is wicked strong, man. For a sixty-six-year-old dude, he's got a six-pack sporting, and uh, uh, he's a pretty fit, dude, man. Absolutely. I know. I saw, saw pictures. I believe every word of it. You know, I've talked to Rusty Smith. This is another guy that's on our show time to time. Uh, he's also a chiropractor in Santa Barbara, though, John. Right. And uh, he, he, we've talked about ourselves being a petri dish experiment because when you get to be our age, you don't, you don't fake it anymore. You know, you if you look like we do and you can do what we do, you must be doing something right. You know, <laughs> I agree. So, so you, if not, you'd be one of the walking wounded. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you had some injuries, and you talked about uh, the other weekend we were in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, the difference in kettlebell training versus the other type of training that you learned in school. Uh, absolutely. And you made an interesting comment to me. I was telling Kevin about before the show that you know you were doing the typical endurance training and you were getting fatter like your friends and clients and then you <laughs> you got into the kettlebell training and something radically different uh, shifted in your composition absolutely i used to um i was never a world-class runner or anything but i loved I, I was running back when it wasn't fashionable i remember when i started running i was in new york and i was the only one running around the reservoir in central park <laughs> And you, you couldn't find Runner's World magazine except in the library. And Adidas <laughs> shoes were sold way down on Broadway. Had to walk up a little flight of stairs to get Adidas shoes. But make a long story oh, short, I, I, just, I, I, was, I was hooked on aerobics because it kept me thin. I, always, I was raised on meat and potatoes and sugar. And I was always kind of chunky. And um, so I ran a lot to stay lean and uh, to stay, stay thin. And eventually I got into more and more running more and more I uh, got hooked into the triathlon type of, type of training. And it seemed the more I did, the tireder I became, the weaker I got, and the fatter I got. What? I just had a guy walk up to me in the gym. You there? Yeah, I'm here. I had a guy walk up to me in the gym last week who just ran the Ironman, and he's got a, he's got a gut on him. And he says, how do you stay so lean? And I didn't realize that by doing all that aerobic activity, I was actually hurting my body with so much um, lactic acid buildup. It's actually bad for my heart. Actually, I'm surprised I didn't kill myself like a lot of uh, Ken Cooper's top, 
Dr. Cooper's top guys were dying. You know that, that yeah, that's something I want you to mention because Kevin, he was talking about Dr. Cooper uh, admitting that uh, he misinterpreted he the data. Yeah, he wrote an article wow. that said that he had made a mistake, that the data was correct, but his interpretation was wrong, and that's wow. absolutely true. Yeah. So, for for those of you that don't know who Dr. Cooper is, can you explain that, Dr. John? Hey, Dr. Cooper is the guru of aerobics. He wrote. He has the Cooper Institute in Dallas, I believe. Right. People oh, yeah. All the world, right, to study with Dr. Cooper, and he would give you so many aerobic points for so much so much running or so much swimming. He broke it all down, how many points you were supposed to have a week. And I found out later there's a wonderful doctor um, who wrote a book. His name is Dr. Al Sears, noted cardiologist. He wrote a book called Discover Your Native Fitness. And in there he talks about the dangers of aerobics, and it just blew my mind. Really? It just blew my mind. It turned my whole concept around. He talked about doing less rather than more, doing with higher intensity. And um, that, I think, was my, my introduction into the type of training that I do now, my high-intensity, low-duration my, my high uh, low training. You know, we were talking about um, Dr. John's preparation for the RKC, Kevin, in Minneapolis. And, and for those of you that don't know about the RKC— it it's it's been called like a black level uh, black belt level of uh, kettlebell proficiency, and anytime you go into something like that, it's 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 not something you'll spend a few weeks preparing for. I mean, you have to. I mean, it took me a full year of training, probably five six days a week, to get ready for that, right? But Doctor John was saying, you know, he only spent about uh, what your, your workouts are like thirty minutes, twenty minutes. One of my goals was, you know, I'm. I have a full-time practice, right? and I'm married. So you know, years ago, I could spend an hour and a half at the gym and all that. And I didn't realize how tired I was in the afternoon and what, what, how that was actually dis- detracting from the quality of my life. So when I started with the kettlebell training, I said, I'm going to give it two years. A friend of mine, a, a RKC Level 2 in, in, the, in League City, Texas, um, Jay told me. I know Jay. Good guy, you man. know Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal guy. Yep. And Jay told me, he said, you can, you can pass this. I thought he was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I picked up the 50-pound kettlebell and almost fell out of my hand. <laughs> so, I yeah, I'm not kidding. And, Ke- it's like, Kevin, and I was doing a lot of, quote, weightlifting and aerobics and Ke- all that stuff. Kevin and I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but um, I took two years, and I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to see if I can do this on 30 minutes or less training four days a week. I wanted to do something that anybody could do with no excuses. Anybody can find 30 minutes. And you can put me on a lie detector test, ask my wife, which is probably even better, and she, she will tell you that I never spent more than 30 minutes and some days less than 10 or 5 minutes. Training. We know our, our whole thing at the Lean Berets is no excuses in, in 30 minutes a day, right? So you're you're fitting right minutes. into the fold here, man. <laughs> right, and I did. Um, so so my workout today was uh, 20 minutes, five minutes of Z Health, five minutes of some new conditioning I'm doing called uh, bulletproofing from Tim, and RKC over in North Carolina. I'm going to send you his pay. He, he developed some. Five new exercises that will bulletproof the body. Pretty cool stuff, built on proprioception. 
Nice. Yeah, send it to me. And you're you're a are you Z Health certified too, Doctor John? Yeah, I'm Z Health certified up to uh, was level three. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm yeah. Z Health is another uh, performance system that uh, right. a lot of the trainers and and even some of the people at the clinical level now are getting into. So I have the four levels at this point. When I went to the RKC and uh, the, the 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 main the big RKC four years ago. They saw how old I was. At, at the end, at the end, or the last day, one of the women who was one of the RKCs who was watching our group, she came up to me and she said, "They told us to watch out for you. They told to keep an eye on you that you might have a heart attack or something." <laughs> so old, they call it. <laughs> said, but let me tell you something. I cannot believe the condition you're in and your general health. She says. I watch my health too, so but even your skin is healthy. What do you do? So I told her about my eating, and I don't take very many. I don't take any supplements at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a big supplement guy. I use one liquid supplement called Intramax. Um, I don't want to peddle Intramax. I don't. I don't make any money. I'm not on, on board. I mean, but there's a wonderful supplement. That's about all I use. Hmm. Um, I. Um, I think it has to be done naturally. If it can't be done naturally, it's you know, it's, it's it's not worth it. If you're taking a lot of pills, potions, and lotions, I don't think it's the way to go. So that's amazing. So you're training, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day to get ready for something that, you know, people half your age spend twice the time doing. And right. You, and you excelled. And I think, you know, it's a testimony to the system that there's a focus on quality. It's very much like martial arts, and some people will call it a martial art. You, uh, attention, focus, uh, breathing. Uh, your posture, you know, the whole thing. And and that's why people can get so much out of it in such little time if you're listening and you don't understand the kettlebell world. And, Kevin, you felt some of that uh, out in Pennsylvania, even with the snowstorms. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I want to tell that story at some point. The show's, I'll, the, I'll the, take this opportunity the, to tell the story. The shoveling story? The, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Story. Yeah. Well, um, I know that you were both probably – well, John, when you used to live in Brooklyn, you probably had some snow back in the day when the weather wasn't, when the global warming wasn't so effectively jacking things up. So you probably know a little bit about snow, but Louisiana, I seriously doubt it. And RJ, I know you haven't seen a snowflake in quite some time. Yeah, but, you, but you, you've invited me to the polar <laughs> challenge this winter, so I've got <laughs> yeah, to get ready. <laughs> absolutely. Polar plunge. We're jumping in the lake February next year. So anyway, we get snow on a regular basis out here in uh, northeast Pennsylvania. And over the past years, after about 15 minutes of shoveling the driveway, my lower back would start aching like crazy. Like someone had a voodoo doll jamming me in the back with a pitchfork. <laughs> and I'd have to like stop and I'd like put my hands on the snow shovel and I'd do this like back arch and like really stretch my back right in the center of the um, shoveling experience. And I'd have to sit there for like 30 seconds and walk around a little to try to re-loosen myself up. Well then, about probably when I started getting the kettlebells, maybe three years ago, um, when I was doing them on a regular basis, I remember the first time I had a major snowstorm, I was out shoveling snow, and I did the whole driveway and the sidewalks. We had, like, this huge snowstorm, and the drifts were... Arjun, remember those pictures I sent you on my I, phone? I remember that. They were huge, man. Yeah, they were huge. They were up to my chest, and I'm, like, six foot three. And I shoveled the whole entire driveway and the sidewalks, and I didn't feel a lick of back pain. Nothing. And I was shocked. I'm like, wow, that's the first time I was ever able to shovel. And I'm a pretty fit dude, man. I exercise every day, you know? I did the whole thing, no back pain. And I sat back, and I was like, that's amazing. And then it just clicked to me. I'm like, oh, my God, it's the kettlebells. Since I started doing kettlebell training, 
it strengthened my core and my you know muscular endurance system and everything else to a point where I can go long time frames doing repetitive exercise like lifting a snow shovel without feeling any pain. And not that I wasn't sold before on the magic of kettlebells, but that was like the final nail in the coffin for me. And I've loved them ever since. So that's oh. my snow shoveling story. Oh, fantastic! That's yeah. I I, I can't tell you how many uh, injuries or weaknesses I've I've been able to overcome. Um, I was telling Ron, I had eight pins on my left foot from a skydiving injury. I had a bone graft in my right ankle from a judo fall. I broke my right arm skydiving. I had dislocated shoulders, dislocated my torn rotator cuff my right shoulder right now, actually, they told me. Um, and you can imagine what my back looks like from thousand skydives. And I have, I wake up each morning. They told me I would have arthritis so bad by the time I was 50, I'd be able to tell when it rained overseas, you know? <laughs> wow. Oh my God. <laughs> and I have I have zero, zero pain in my body. Once in a while, when I pick up that right shoulder a little bit, I can feel a little click. But um, the kettlebells have, you can't lift the kettlebell incorrectly. I guess you can. It'll hurt you, but it won't, it won't forgive you. You do it once or twice, and it doesn't, you realize you're doing something wrong very quickly, and you have to make the adaption. And uh, once I, once I learned that, I spent two years in the first half of Enter the Kettlebell book. Wow. I read and reread and read and reread the basics. Pavel has a lot in there. There's a lot of hidden knowledge in there when you read and reread and read and reread and go back and do the box squat, go back and do the wall squat, go back to the basics. Um, basically, what I did is I did that kettlebell warm up, the 10 minutes of Z Health, and a uh, 12-minute swing routine that I put together. And then the next day I would do the same thing, except instead of swings, I would do five minutes of Turkish get-ups with the uh, working my way up to the 24-kilo, the 53-pounder. For a 130-pound guy, that's that's a lot of weight. Yeah. yeah. What's your swing routine? You mentioned it. Can you can you tell us? Yeah. Um, I use the 20K, 44-pound, and I do 90 swings. 30 with one arm, 30 with the other, 30 with two. Then I put it down and I rest a minute. Then I pick it up and I do 60 swings. Put it down, rest a minute. I do that two more times. So total, it takes 12 minutes total. Wow. And, and so for, for 80, those, 60, 60, and 60. And, and for those of you that don't know, a swing is uh, dropping the kettlebell uh, beneath your crotch as you swing it back behind your booty. Uh, 90 swings in a row. Uh, it's a fair amount of work. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm huffing and puffing. But what I found out when I read, you see, all this kind of came together for me in a like, like I, I don't know. I guess I had an epiphany. I, I read Al Sears' book, and he said that when you go into something called supra aerobic, mm -hmm. which is like anaerobics on steroids. Right. In other words, you go into that space for just a few seconds where your heart feels like it's going to blow out of your chest, and you cannot barely breathe. Mm -hmm. And at that time, when you stop exercising, you can't go past that. You stop exercising. For a few seconds, your heart rate will actually go a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. And then it'll drop back down. At that point, as a natural point, your body will start to produce growth hormone on its own. Cool. 
So, so growth, what this is is an anti-aging program. Right, and and that's the nice thing about high-intensity exercise is it does promote more of that HGH human growth hormone. Or you right. can go to L.A. out here where I live and, you know, get a bunch of injections and then probably oh, die oh, prematurely, you know. Better but, living through chemistry. That's that's the American way. Um, which is a nice segue into um, what you were telling us before the show. The primary addicting substance in our sugar. country is what? Sugar. Sugar. So let's talk about sugar because we've been on a roll with that. And, uh, you know, the more I listen to this and the more people I talk to, like Kevin and John, the more I realize the root cause of so many um, disease and health issues we have is really this sugar addiction thing, John. Absolutely. It's killing, it's killing our children. It's killing us. It's, it's, it's destroying our civilization. I, it may sound crazy, but I, if you read a book called Sugar Blues by William Dufty, it goes back into, the, into, into, into this history of sugar, and you'll see its role in slavery. Every population in which sugar was introduced, it destroys the moral fiber of, a, of, the, of the civilization. I'm not talking about sexual morality. I'm talking about the ability to make core-level decisions about what's right and what's wrong. You and said very easily swayed. Yeah, we were talking, Kevin, uh, Minneapolis, about just some of the decisions that we're seeing people make in society today about, um, I don't know, just, just really cruel, offensive-type behaviors. They're not contributing to the global condition at all in terms of making this a better place, and it— and and John mentioned that you know when you're addicted to sugar you're easy to control, and you make very poor decisions. I started thinking about all this and the chemical effects in the brain, and it it's it's starting to make sense to me, Kevin. It does make sense. Yeah, a, I was just reading really, in Sugar Blues that the uh, the the uh, death rate for um, diabetes in England. And uh, before the before the introduction of, of, of insulin in 1925 was 112 million people per year from diabetes in 1925. After the introduction of insulin, it went up to 145 million. Wow. <laughs> so the insulin, the sugar industry, and the insulin industry, the, the drug insulin, they're they're definitely partners in this. Um, in this money-making deal, um, I, I have a class each week, you know, and I, and I tell people when I that I'm going to tell them their truth about their health for once. And one of the things I, I share with them is that Hitler's minister of propaganda said that if you tell a lie for three generations, it becomes the truth to the next generation. So when you and I start to talk about sugar and it was given to you by your grandparents as a reward for being a good boy or a good girl. Right. How can there be something wrong with sugar? I mean, goodness gracious, your loving grandmother gave it to you, but your loving grandmother was lied to. And there's so much at stake now. There's so much money at stake right now to keep the, the populations of the world ignorant about this, this, this sugar that wars have been fought and lives lost for a minuscule fraction 
of what's at stake right now. Can you mention, uh, you, you had an amazing testimonial that just came in today about uh, a patient that had all kinds of um, issues, and then you, you right. got her off sugar, and in just a few days, miraculous changes. Right. If you, if you want to read it yourself, you can go on my website, drjohn1.com, and read it yourself. And Her name is Amy. But I don't have it in front of me right now, but Amy said that um, she had gone to a hospital, and uh, she was severely depressed and panic attacks and could barely breathe. And someone sent it to oh. me and came to our class, and the doctor wanted to put her on Valium. And thank God she was smart enough to know that she wasn't suffering from a Valium deficiency. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You know, when I say that, I, when I, I say that in my class, I think we have been so hoodwinked that we think a headache is an aspirin deficiency. Right. And people laugh. And they say, I said, of course not. I said, well, why would you take an aspirin for a headache? Well, that's what we're told to do, of course, because we, you, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't make the association. Well, anyway, she came to my class. She got adjusted a few times. And she came back in and she said, I cannot believe it. I did not believe that by eating the way you told me, my sugar addiction would stop. I, I'm no longer craving sugar. I, I, I thought when you told me that, that you were lying to me because I've been craving sugar since I've been a little girl. Wow. And she absolutely was, I mean, she said, I cannot believe it. It's gone. And uh, she was in today. I don't know how much weight she's lost. It's only been about a week and a half, but her clothes are, are looser on her, but she looks like a different person. When someone gets off sugar, you can just look in their eyes and they start to change. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's that potent a drug that we just take for granted. Yeah, and I, I really think, um, Kevin, we need to start thinking more about sugar as a drug that's addicting, you know? Yeah, it, was, it was always considered a medication. Really? It was, when it was introduced, when it was first introduced, it was as a, as a medication to be taken in very small amounts. It was never supposed to be a food. It wasn't until the invention of the evaporating pan that it became cheap enough to make it, to turn it into a food. But that was all a, a money-making deal by the British back in, in, in the 1800s and 1800s. And but that, it used to cost a year's salary. Really? To get a wow. pound of sugar. Yeah, it was. And the only people who had diseases of, of debilitating, not debilitating diseases, but the degenerating diseases back then were royalty. That ate the sugar. Gout and diabetes diseases of the rich, yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. And now we're up to, uh, what is it, Kevin, about two pounds a week for the average American adult? Yeah, I believe. Yeah. On average, that includes total sugar intake, not just the amount you add to your food, such as cereal and coffee and tea, etc., but just total. All the hidden sugars, too. And yeah. bread and stuff that doesn't really necessarily taste sweet. Yogurt. But eight grams here, nine grams there adds up fast. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, Absolutely. it's an atrocity. That's what it is in disguise. And I know firsthand about, I encounter so many people that come running up to me. They rail. I can't get off sugar. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so addicted. I'm so addicted. And I'm like, they're, they are frantic. It's almost like I'm, a, I'm witnessing some kind of drug and alcohol rehab center, and I'm a bouncer at the door with my arms folded waiting for the next person <laughs> to come walk, walking in. And I'm just like, okay, it's a familiar story to me. And I mean, these... People are seriously addicted. Absolutely. You know, my heart goes out to them, but you have to take it in small, gradual steps. I mean, it's that simple. 
and I try to employ to people to use a substitution system. That's my magic trick when it comes to getting off of not just sugar, but any kind of bad habit that you have. I ask them, it's, what, what, is, what are you feeling when you eat the chocolate bar? What are you feeling when you have a cupcake? And they're like, well, it just feels good. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel relaxed. I'm like, that's cool. How do you feel 10 minutes later? I feel guilty. I feel like crap. And then I go into a, a battery of words that I'm not going to say live on the air in case there's six- and seven-year-olds listening to us today. But bottom line is I ask them, what do you feel you can do? I, you know, I pull my coaching skills out of my back pocket. Like, what can you do to make yourself feel good at the same time but not reach for the candy bar? What's going to be, what, what can be like something that will still give you the good feeling? It can still be a food, but what is it that not, doesn't contain sugar? It could be a habit. It could be something else. But what is it? And then I try to have them link a mental connection between getting off a bad habit and creating a better habit. And, you know, once you make that, that first step, that's the hardest step to make. But when you do that one little thing and then keep that habit going for a week or two, you add a little bit more to it, take a little more sugar away, add something else in, and just keep on going a nice slow pace. And then before you know it, just like you said, well, that girl that you talked to, is, um, her, her situation was extreme, it sounds. She probably just went cold turkey, cut the sugar right out, and then jumped right on board, and immediately she started feeling better. And if you go the cold turkey route, I guarantee you, within two days, you're going to feel tremendously better. Do you agree with me on that, Dr. John? Yeah, but uh, what yeah. I found, I was, I was addicted to sugar myself, and I'm huh. severely hypoglycemic. And I tried the hypoglycemic diet. It was in a health food stores years ago, and it had worked temporarily. Yeah. But what I found is that when the sugar craving hit, there was absolutely... I had no, it was a craving beyond my control. It was like, like people don't know they're craving something until you take it away. It's like, right now we're all craving oxygen. You don't know it until I put my hand in, over your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. That's a good point. But man. when the craving hits, it's usually beyond your control to stop it. It's, um, so what I found, and it's, like I said, I don't know where this, this information keeps coming to me from, but when I became willing to look at it, um, I was introduced to uh, natural hygiene, and actually, I, I bypassed it in chiropractic colleges. wasn't wasn't exotic enough because it was natural eating. But what they say in natural hygiene is to combine your foods correctly. And if you mix a starch and a protein in the same meal, now I don't know how true what I say is going to be, but it makes sense to me because I, I, I I'm not a scientist, but. They say if you mix starch and protein in the same meal, like meat and potatoes, bread and hamburgers, ham, you know, meat and grain and meat, or any kind of protein and any kind of starch, it stays in your stomach six to eight hours. And what happens is that <clears throat> your body's not getting a ready supply of glucose, and the brain has to have glucose. Because the digestive process for those two foods are diametrically opposite, and it slows your digestion down. Consequently, the brain, which is built for survival, makes you crave a drug that you've had before to keep you alive or else you're going to pass out. Or you're going to get irritable. You have to have another kind of stimulant. And when I teach my class, I, I give an example. I say, let's just say you went over to Ruth's Chris over here, and you had a half a cow and two baked potatoes, right? <laughs> And you ate that, and you, you can't even breathe. You, you're so full. You're up to, you can't even swallow. You're so full. Brain is no, getting, no longer getting glucose. 
and your stomach, your brain says, hey, stomach, what are you doing down there? I need some glucose. And your stomach says, hey, brain, I haven't got any. I got a big mess down here. <laughs> and the brain says, what are you nuts? I run this show, and you get me some glucose right now. And the stomach says, I don't care who you are, brain. You're on your own. I haven't got any glucose. I got a big mess. And the brain says, well, I'm not going to die. You watch this. Now, you just ate a half a cow and two baked potatoes. You can't even swallow. In five minutes, they have room for what? Dessert. Dessert. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Now, they're not hungry. They didn't order more broccoli. (laughs) They ordered a drug. It's absorbed underneath their tongue. Temporarily supports their brain. Gives them some glucose so they can stumble home and not fall on the plate. And then they go home and pass out. They don't go to sleep. They're, they're, they're catatonic. Fas- uh, that's, that's, that's the absolute truth. Fascinating stuff, man. And i got to tell you, and related to a show we're going to be doing on colon health here in a couple of weeks Ooh. with a friend of Kevin's. Don't even get us started on colon oh, yeah. health, right? But, you know, I, I we went fishing uh, the other weekend, my dad and my son and I, and uh, uh, we had a little, uh, like, a barbecue on Father's Day before we took off, and I ate a lot of steak, Kevin. It was organic, but it oh. was steak. Oh. And I, I just yeah. got to admit, you know, because uh, Jill Mulshan talked to us about being constipated. I didn't take a shit for, like, three days, dudes. I mean, <laughs> and I could tell the difference. Like, I'm just not used to eating that much meat. It doesn't work for me, man, to eat eat like a typical American and have these huge... Uh, portions of steak, it just it plugs me up, man. It's it's bad news for my ass. Uh, yeah, well, it's like a cinder block in your stomach, especially if you eat that much steak. Yeah. I mean, gosh. Um, That's a good analogy, right, though, Dr. John. I love that. I love that story. <laughs> well, then you can, you can absolutely see how it happens, and we just take it for granted. Well, I had dessert. You know, the... Drug peddlers are pretty smart. Um, you know, alcohol is a drug, but they don't call it. You don't, you don't go in the bar and say, "Give me a, give me a shot of ethanol." Yeah, I know. You want a cocktail? You see, they <laughs> <laughs> they have a different. I mean, martini or a margarita. You have these different names for the dope, and the sugar industry is <laughs> no different. They call it a cupcake, a parfait, a, a whatever. You know, right. It's like, I remember the old the head shops of the marijuana. You had all these different kinds of you know toys and trinkets, mm-hmm. but it's still dope. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, but we we like to doctor it up to to like so we can't see what's really going on. It's really going. Remember I, I told you there's so much sugar in a coke that they have to put phosphoric acid in there to keep you from vomiting it up. Really? Is that is that the reason for the? Uh... Phosphoric acid keeps you from throwing it up. When they took the cocaine out, they had to put something in there, the caffeine and sugar, to give you the jolt. But mm-hmm. you would vomit it up. Wow. If it wasn't for the phosphoric acid. What? So what's your body? John, I have a question Yeah. about phosphoric acid. Um, I don't remember where I read about this. I just know it was some kind of, I don't know if it was a journal entry or something, but um, I heard that phosphoric acid is the equivalent to horse urine. It could be. I don't know. I really don't. I, I, I that'd be a good a good topic. Google that up somewhere. 
<laughs> well, I know I I don't know if RJ told you, but I like to destroy things that are bunk, and I don't I don't waste my time with um, firing squad video space smashing soda because we all know that it's absolute garbage. But Absolutely. if you take the phosphoric acid out, it's still crap any way you look at it. It's empty liquid calories, and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that my hatred is very deep for soda, and I'm very fond of um, organic type stuff. And if I have to have a soda, it's going to be organic. So I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, you know, uh, liquid calories would be a good show, you guys, because a lot of people get oh, yeah. the majority of their calories just from what they drink, not even what they eat. You can really pack yeah. calories in when you're drinking. You know, oh, yeah. quickly, right? And assimilate those calories quickly. Um, in fact, when I did the race across America as an ultra-endurance cyclist, the only way we could get enough calories the turnover and output that was required to win that race was by going liquid. You couldn't eat enough solid food. I was on a 15,000 calorie a day diet. You know, good luck trying to eat that many hamburgers. I couldn't even get on my bike, you know. Right. But when you're drinking, you know, special race formulations, you know, you can actually consume 15,000 calories a day. Fortunately for me, I was burning it all off. So, but 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 there are a lot of people eating, you know, and drinking that much uh, every day, and they aren't doing any kind of exercise. <laughs> I know. Two-liter bottles of Mountain Dew a day, a whole two-liter. Right, right. Calories alone is astonishing, let alone the amount of sugar in a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew. Right. That's, a, that's commonplace for 50% or more of the population. Wow. Two liters. That's a lot of soda lot on of a daily basis. A lot of sugar. Oh. Remember, Ron, we said we are going to take on big sugar and big corn? high fructose corn syrup, and we're going to need protection from the witness protection program. Yeah. But there's one other thing I want to share. As a, as a healthcare professional, that the cause of heart disease has nothing to do with cholesterol. Oh, I love the sound of that. Okay? It has to do with sugar and insulin. Here's what happens. When you eat... SAD, S-A-D, Standard American Diet, the SAD diet. I love it. <laughs> loaded with sugar. When you eat sugar, it goes into your blood, and your body has to get the sugar out of your blood. And it does that with insulin, which is good. And insulin is supposed to be in your blood and out of your blood very quickly, but because you nowhere would nature ever intend for us to eat the amount of sugar that we eat. Right. It's just but a- as you said, we already eat, consume God knows how much a day. It's completely unnatural. Right. So you having you have sugar in your blood all the time, therefore you have to have insulin in your blood all the time, or else it spills over into your urine and your diabetic. So here's what happens. Insulin's great, however, in getting sugar out of your blood. However, it's highly inflammatory chemical. And it's only supposed to be in and out of your blood, but now you have it in there all day long. Now you've got an inflammatory chemical in the blood. Blood goes everywhere, right? Yep. Right. It gets into your joints, and that's your cause of arthritis. It inflames your joints. With the amount of injuries I had, if I ate the standard American diet, I would be, I would be an invalid in a month. I wouldn't wow. be able to move. Um, it gets into your tissue. That's your fibromyalgia. But it does something even more insidious. It inflames the walls of the blood vessels. 
and it's only when that blood vessel is inflamed that cholesterol can adhere, adhere to the wall of the blood vessel. So now you're talking root cause. And that, so the cause of heart disease is, is inflammation, you know, not cholesterol. And any heart surgeon who knows his business will tell you that's the truth. And if he doesn't, he's lying to you. We've been talking more wow. about inflammation. And I, I, Kevin, I want to do a show called Got Puff. Like, you know, puffed got up. Puff, did you be- say? Got oh, puff. Got puffed up. Yeah, got puff. P U F F. Got puff. Oh, got puff. Yeah. Because I. What are you talking about? Well, well you know, we, sta- we started talking about gluten intolerance and, and uh, inflammatory responses, Dr. John, a few weeks back with Jill Molshan, who's a gluten free uh, chef in Park City, Utah. And, and, and I really started noticing just the skin on people and the puffiness they had. And it's not just that they're overweight, but they're swollen. And I, I had a guy um, that I was working with a few weeks ago, young guy, nice kid, you know, and he's getting back in shape, losing some weight. And I, and I had to just be honest with him. I said, you know, you're swollen. <laughs> you, you've got some inflammation because of the type of food that you're eating. And I said, you know, you're young and you feel pretty good right now, but this is a, this is a real serious issue that I'm going to start talking more and more about is inflammation. So uh, I think that'd be a great topic on another show for sure. Yeah, that would definitely. You know that in my in my practice, if the people who I've had a person who had 50% blockers on one side of his heart, 40% blockers on the other, followed my eating plan for four years. You get a new heart in four years. All your organs regenerate in four years. In four years, his heart was completely clear. Wow. Wow. No medication. Just just eating. You know, 106,000 people died last year correctly prescribed pharmaceutical medications. 106,000. In other words, I give you Vioxx for your arthritic pain, and it kills you. Right. 106,000 people. 10,000 from illegal drugs. 10,000. 106,000 from legal drugs, 10,000 from illegal. Wow. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And I would say that and the patients in my clinic, except for people maybe on, uh, who are taking uh, thyroid medication or epilepsy medication or something like that, or brittle diabetics, get off all medication in three months by following my eating plan. All medication. Hmm. The toughest wow, one to get off, though, is the, is the antidepressants that they're, they're putting people on. So that the power of clean eating rises again, Kevin. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was about to say that. We, you know, RJ and I and... You know, most of our guests that we've been talking to over the past uh, shows have been reiterating the fact that diet is the natural healer, and that's your medicine in disguise. And if you're right. willing to make the sacrifices with the diet and eat the right things, you, it's very preventative and it's also corrective for, I would say, 90-plus percent of all ailments out there. There's no two ways around it. We've, we've talked, Kevin and I are both big fitness guys, but we've been talking about how, you know, diet is probably 80 plus percent of of weight management you know yeah i mean as much as we love the kettlebells i mean you know if you're eating that kind of crap with sugar in it all day it's going to be kind of hard to get that weight off and even if you got the weight off it's not just weight you know as we know it it's you know internally how you feel and what is happening with your organs well i can see right now kevin uh, if dr john's willing we'll have to do another show just on his uh his whole eating seminar program and it'd be, I know. be pretty fascinating I, I think people would be really interested in that he's getting some real yeah, results okay. that'd be fantastic I, I have a vision of actually uh 
having some kind of center where people can come and learn to cook, <laughs> to shop, and to exercise. Take about a two-week vacation at our place and teach them how to do this because most people don't even know what a pineapple is. I had a girl ask me in the store, what is that? I said, it's a pineapple. She said, how do you eat it? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds wow. funny, but they, if it didn't come wrapped they didn't, or in styrofoam, they never saw it as kids. They never saw it. I, I was flabbergasted. Well, I'll throw, I'll throw an idea out there for all of you, and uh, I'm willing to, to work on it. You know, if you want to put something together, I mean, we've got Jill Mulshawn in Park City. She's a gluten-free chef expert, and Kevin's an organic guy, and, you know, I, I sure know fitness with you, Dr. John. And, hey, if you want to put something together uh, and collaborate, we'd love to do that. It'd be a lot of fun. I think things like that are what people need. Just, you know, how do you be healthy? You know, some, some I hand. People tell me that all the time. How do you do it? It takes so much time. I said, if I cooked like you cooked, it would take me a lot of time, too. Yeah. You know, I got on the scale yesterday, Kevin, uh, for the first time in about a year. And, you know, people ask me what I weigh. I said, yeah, you know, 168 to 170. And I got on the scale. It was an accurate scale, too, that's calibrated, 166. Great. And wow, I, you, you know, bastard. And I and I, and I must be doing something right because I don't my weight just does not fluctuate more than two or three pounds. You know, I exercise every day for thirty minutes and and I eat pretty well and that's I mean that that's it. You know. So I'll say, I'm always on a scale because I'm a I'm a freak about weight. You know, I had RJ knows I had a little bit of a um, well not a little bit I had a pretty severe eating fitness disorder a few years ago, but I've overcome that. But I'm still very vigilant about my weight and um, my workouts. I'm very high intensity, and I throw down with every workout I do. I act like every workout is going to be my last one. You know, people are always looking at me like, you get up at what time? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I, get up, I try to get up at 5 a.m. and get at least an hour workout in, hour, hour to hour and a half, and I treat every workout like it's going to be my last. <laughs> and, you know, most people loathe exercise. I'm like, I can't stand it. Oh, I, hate, I do it, but I hate it, blah, blah, But that's like, that's like my cheesecake, you know? <laughs> and I just love exercise. I love to get in the trenches and just, like, be – drenched when I'm done, I like my heart pound out of my chest and I just rip. And that's so exciting for me. I like I lose sleep sometimes thinking to myself, <laughs> I can't wait to get up in the morning and do hill repeats tomorrow. I can't wait to grab my two pound jump rope. I can't wait to grab my kettlebell. And that kind of stuff. Love it. Fantastic. Well, hey guys. Yeah, so fun. Yeah, it's been a great show, man. I think uh if you got any closing comments we can kick that out and wrap it up and then uh we need to get Doctor John back if he if he's willing and just talk about his diet plan and, and his kind of seminar format because that's just he's really getting awesome results there in a short amount of time too. Well, I, I sure appreciate you asking me this, Ron. I, you know, I, um, sometimes I feel like a pariah. <laughs> Welcome to the Lean Berets because uh, we're, yeah, we're definitely part. World. You were part of the uh, paradigm shift, and and when we see things that are unhealthy and bogus and and ripping people off, we send them to our firing squad. And you're next. You're a Marine, so I know you don't mind that. Empire <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, hang on after. Uh, you got any closing comments before we check out? Kevin? Um, the closing comments I have is my wish, or pretty much always my closing comment. You're going to eat sugar, keep it clean, keep it organic, and keep it minuscule. Don't overdo it on anything. Even if it's organic, it doesn't matter because it's still calories are calories, sugar is sugar, and try to keep your intake low and if you do need more sugar than you think you're needing make sure you throw down hardcore and exercise it off 
Absolutely. Like what do you got, John? I have, I say like, um, getting old, aging is mandatory, but getting old is optional. <laughs> I like that. A true Jack Lane type comment to, to send us off today. And you can find Dr. John on the web at drjohn1.com. And I'm going to hook up some of these book references too, John, that you mentioned. Uh, we'll create a little page for you if you got some photos. Uh, action photos, make sure to send those to me, and I'll put them on your page, and, and, and we're going to do some more with you. So uh, uh, maybe we'll even end up coming down to Louisiana and, and uh, checking out some of that food. That'd be pretty exciting. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, you guys. Have some, good, have some good food, yeah. All right, well, hang on. Bye. You guys hang on, and I'll talk to you after the show. Hold on just a second. You've been listening to the Lean Braze radio show at theleanbraze.com. Music today provided by Hot Rod Walt and the Psycho DeVilles. Until next time, keep your foot in the accelerator for health and rock on. You got a vision of an integrated guitar like